Hello from the American Enterprise Institute in Washington, D.C., and welcome to the Campus Exchange Podcast. I'm Jeff Pickering, Director of Academic Programs here at AEI, where we connect college and university students with our nation's leading scholars through conferences, seminars, campus events, and this show. As the new school year begins, so too does our new season of the Campus Exchange Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show so you'll stay in the know of all the ways you can engage with AEI. Today's conversation comes on the heels of the first 2024 Republican presidential primary debate. And here to discuss all that happened on that stage in Milwaukee and where the presidential race goes from here is AEI scholar and legendary newsman Chris Steyerwalt in conversation with Sam Rouse from the University of Miami. Enjoy the show. Thank you, Jeff. My name is Sam Rouse. I'm a senior with the University of Miami studying public relations and political science. Today, I'm grateful to be speaking with Chris Steyerwalt, who is a senior fellow at AEI covering American politics, elections, and the media, as well as a contributing editor and weekly columnist for The Dispatch. In 2022, Chris released the book Broken News, why the media rage machine divides America and how to fight back. Before joining AEI, he was a political editor at Fox News Channel, where he helped coordinate political coverage across the network and specialized in on-air analysis of polls and voting trends. Chris is a graduate of Hampton Sydney College in Virginia, where he studied history. Chris, thanks for joining me. You bet. Good to be with you. Now, let's dive right in. You cover American politics, and last Wednesday we had the first GOP primary debate, minus Trump, who is the front runner, of course. What were your initial reactions to the whole thing? Well, I think I would say as a, a good rule of thumb for analysis of a debate, or a couple of good rules of thumb for analysis of a debate. Number one, it doesn't matter what happened. It matters what people think happened which is to say that especially given social media and the ubiquity of analysis and coverage, public perceptions about these things take shape quickly, uh, harden quickly, and remain. Um, So that is one thing to bear in mind uh, and can be frustrating when you actually watch an event or a pseudo event in politics and you say, well, that's not what happened. What matters is what do people think happened? And uh, I think what people think happened is that uh, Nikki Haley had a good night um, in some early polling, uh, for what it's worth. Uh, We've certainly seen that reflected. Um, I think uh, a lot of other people thought that Vivek Ramaswamy uh, had a good night, and he was already on the upswing when the debate took place. So that probably fortified the wind behind his sails. Um, I think the same is probably true uh, for Mike Pence and Chris Christie in the sense that they had a good showing uh, and they got a lot of camera time and they acquitted themselves well. I think the the people who struggled that needed to do well uh, were probably Tim Scott, 
who is very directly competing with Nikki Haley, uh, both for a constituency of traditional conservatives inside the Republican Party, but also very literally in their home state of South Carolina, which has an early primary. Uh, and also Ron DeSantis, who has had trouble in the since, let's say, April. And while he didn't really hurt himself, he didn't help himself either. Uh, so that's the one one part. Part two is the most important part of the that presidential debate was that it happened at all. Um, voters look for cues. Um, well, whether they look for them or not, I don't know, but they receive cues about when it's time to start actually getting serious about making choices and debates in our jury rig system are the cue for voters to start making up their minds uh, and thinking about this in a, in a more serious way. And I think that definitely took place and it will change the race. Now, you're highlighting um, both Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy having a good night. Um, one particular moment that stood out to me was the foreign policy exchange between Haley and Ramaswamy, and I wanted to get your thoughts on that moment. Well, Ramaswamy is selling what populists and I say this advisedly, uh, he's selling what populists and demagogues uh, <laughs> often do, which is uh, that there are simple, easy answers, but that the people who are in power uh, will deny us those simple and easy answers. And the complexities of foreign policy are particularly um, resistant to easy and simple answers. Um, I think if you are an America first kind of Republican, uh, Ramaswamy, you probably liked what you heard from Ramaswamy. Um, I think if you are like most Republicans, still fairly hawkish uh, and still uh, leery of Russian aggression, uh, probably sounded a little pat, probably sounded a little canned and probably, and this is a serious problem for Ramaswamy. He's 38 years old. That's <clears throat> extraordinarily young to be running for president. And the petness or glibness of his answers probably will be a barrier for him to expand his reach. Now, I mentioned it before, but Trump was not in attendance on Wednesday and instead had a interview with Tucker Carlson airing simultaneously as the debate. Um, you'd written about Trump's no-show prior to debate. So I wanted to circle back and see how you think this whole dynamic played out to Trump, what your reactions were to the interview and the viewership it was getting in comparison with the debate? Well, there are interesting, there are interesting uh, metrics when we talk about viewership. I don't know what the final number was that uh, Twitter said in terms of how many people accessed the stream of that interview. But I'm sure that it was a lot more than the 13 million or so people who watched the debate. Um, but as we learn from Ron DeSantis's uh, ill-conceived and poorly executed campaign launch on Twitter, those numbers don't, they don't relate to reality. Look, ca uh, cable or television ratings are flawed themselves. 
but how long, how much, uh, how much they consumed of uh, an online stream is opaque, to say the least. And the other thing that I would, and, and by the way, there's also a demographic issue with those viewers. Um, people who, TV audiences skew dramatically older than online audiences, and so does the electorate. And if you want to talk to older, likely voters, uh, television is still probably a much better place to go. The other thing, and I think this is more significant, it was boring. Um, Trump, the the whole idea was, we're going to show Fox, uh, who both Carlson and Trump have uh, enmity toward, uh, we're going to show them, we're going to do our own thing. It's going to get bigger ratings, and it's going to render the the real event as moot. And that did not happen. It did not happen. Fox got a good number uh, of viewers. 13 million is a lot of viewers, especially in today's um, highly fragmented media world, number one. And number two, nothing happened in the Carlson interview, right? There were no tough questions. It wasn't a revelatory, interesting, or different thing. It was basically that it was a way for Trump supporters to protest the debate and go watch that instead. And it uh, did not apparently affect the viewership of the Republican debate. So I think it was a, I think it was a miss. And now pivoting towards the general election, regardless of who the GOP nominee is and who their VP is, what path forward do you see for Republicans in competing with Biden? Do you foresee any major trends in the Electoral College that might surprise voters, or are we going to expect to see more of the same from 2020? Well, uh, Joe Biden is really unpopular. Um, He is really unpopular. And we saw a new poll from the National Opinion Research Center uh, that shows overwhelming majorities of Americans, including Democrats, think that he is too old to be seeking a four-year term in office. And it's evident, right? Biden publicly struggles. Um, while there are uh, concerns and considerations around corruption uh, as it relates to the foibles of his son, Hunter, the number one problem for Biden far and away is that he is just so old and not chronologically but in his countenance and conduct and his lucidity, he just seems out of it frequently. And that is an enormous liability. And if the Republican Party was united behind a candidate, then Biden would be an extraordinarily vulnerable incumbent. The problem for Republicans is not, well, many problems. But the, if we just look at this about take out Trump uh, or considerations about Trump, whomever the Republicans nominate, this looks like a bitterly, awfully divided party. Um, the most recent uh, Siena College poll said basically 37% of Republicans are pro-Trump, 25% of Republicans are anti-Trump, and an equivalent 37% are agnostic or somewhere in between those two polls. And what that is, is a party that is deeply enough divided to guarantee defeat in the general election. Uh, Because what that would mean, and those numbers would shrink, but you want, if you're, whatever your party, you 
your nominee needs 85 or 90% of your party to be solidly in support of the nominee. I have a hard time seeing Republicans uniting behind Trump or anyone else, because I think there is at least 25% of those core Trump supporters who would really resent any nominee other than Trump. And that if the nominee is Trump, that there would be uh, a big chunk of that 25% who wouldn't show up for wouldn't vote for him either. Um, Biden has an additional problem, which is that when he was running against Trump in 2020, he was a concept. Well, maybe he'll be more moderate. This this is a challenger. The incumbent in a presidential election has many advantages. But the key advantage that a challenger has is that it's a theoretical presidency. Well, it might be like this and it might be like that. In Biden's case, he was a very well-known commodity, so that was held down a little bit. But he certainly ran as a moderate. He certainly ran as a uniter. That has not turned out to be that way. And it will be harder for Biden to win over the people who dislike both candidates. Uh, But according to that same uh, AP National Opinion Research Center poll, Trump is substantially by 10 points more disliked than Biden. So that's a very long way of saying the Republicans do have a path to victory, certainly. Uh, And certainly a united Republican Party would uh, have a very good chance at winning Arizona and Georgia back and to be competitive in Wisconsin uh, and maybe Michigan and maybe Pennsylvania. Um, But when we look at the condition of the Republican Party as it is, it looks a lot more like a suicide pact than a functional political party. Thanks, Chris. Now for our last question, which we ask all of our guests, I wanted to know, what do you know now that you wish you knew while you were in college? Oh, well, let's see. I wish I knew to eat the frog first, which is to say, uh, I wish I knew to do the hard and unpleasant work of life in small things and in large things first, to get it out of the way, to get it done with, uh, and get on with it. I think as young people, we are prone to want to delay uh, unpleasant things. And I am here to tell you from 25 years uh, uh, on the other side, that it's better to eat the frog first uh, and get on with what you want to do. And if you'll let me have a second bite at the apple, I will say, I wish that I knew how rare and special the opportunity to go to college was. Um, You know, we're raised and we grow up being taught, most of us who go to college, raised under the assumption that college is part of life and that you will do that and that you're preparing for it. Your scholastic life points you toward college uh, as the objective. But what experience has taught me is that it underestimates how special it is to get to really live the life of the mind, to really get to study what you want to do. I can promise you that if somebody said, well, here's what we're going to do. You've got no kids. You've got nobody to support. Um, You've got four years uh, with a place to live and food to eat, and you can study whatever you want. That sounds like a vacation. When I was in college, though, all I wanted to do was get out of college and get to work. So I would say two things. Eat the frog first, number one. And number two, 
savor what you're doing, savor the good parts and enjoy it. Don't rush through it uh, and, and try to be done with it. Really appreciate how in the course of human history, rare the privilege is to get to study and think and learn and expand uh, in the way that you are. Thank you so much. Heck yeah. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Our vision for equipping and developing student leaders to renew healthy civic engagement on their campuses is rooted in AEI's history and mission. The American Enterprise Institute was established in 1938 and continues today as a community of scholars and supporters dedicated to defending human dignity, expanding human potential, and building a freer and safer world. The work of our scholars and staff advances ideas rooted in our belief in democracy, free enterprise, American strength and global leadership, solidarity with those at the periphery of our society, and a pluralistic entrepreneurial culture. If you want to join us in this effort, visit AEI.org or check out the link in our show notes and be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay informed of our events and opportunities for students. See you next time.